Well, welcome to uh, GZM Ground Zero Meetings, and uh, I just thank you for uh, coming and, and ready to hear from what God has to say. Tonight we're going to be talking about our will, which is so strong and, and stubborn and prideful and gets us into a lot of trouble. You know, the last few weeks we've been going through um, the first couple of steps, you know, and I learned a long time ago sitting in a meeting that you can describe the first three steps with six words. The first step is I can't. The second step is you can. And the third step is please help. You know, the third step, according to Alcoholics Anonymous, is that we turn our life and our will over to the care of God as we understand Him. You know, and, you know, coming into recovery a, a long time ago, I was an atheist and I, I didn't believe in any sort of higher power or any sort of spirituality and it certainly didn't want anything to do with religion. You know, I got taken to church for the majority of my childhood and and uh, it didn't really sink in. I wasn't ready. You know, and through the pain of my own choices and the destruction of my life, um, I came to a place that because of all this pain that I've been through, there can't be a, a God, especially not a loving God. And if there is a God, then he's cruel, and I choose not to believe in him. You know, and uh, I took a very strong, arrogant stance on the side of atheism and was very belligerent and would get very angry at my mother when she'd say that she would pray for me because I didn't want anything to do with it. And coming into recovery, you know, they tell us that we need this higher power. And I didn't want anything to do with it. So I knew I needed to go to meetings because, you know, I was broken and had no idea how to stay sober. And if you can't go to the bar to pick up chicks, you might as well go to meetings to do it. You know, and, and that's literally what I would do. You know, that, okay, I can't use drugs and alcohol, but... I'm going to have as much sex as possible, you know, and I would go to the meetings to, you know, fellowship, to hang out, to hit on girls, and, you know, there was very little to do in recovery, even though I was staying sober or dry, per se, and, you know, I was going through the motions. I was in outpatient treatment and uh, doing the groups, and was very arrogant and prideful, belligerent and um, needed to make my opinion known. And eventually I got to a place that I realized that there was nothing I could do to change certain areas of my life. You know, and being that type of arrogant, prideful person that was very belligerent, someone came to me one day in a meeting or after a meeting and, and said, you know, all you do is come here and complain. The least you could do is pray. You know, and it made me really angry. You know, you know my belief system. Why don't you respect it? But I didn't respect their belief system. I was very belligerent and made it known that I had no respect for anybody that believed in God. But I left that meeting, in a sense, changed. That now that I know what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is, I realized that that was a seed that was planted in me. That wasn't a seed that changed me significantly, but it was definitely a question mark that was placed in my life and 
and it's been there ever since. Because every time I would go to complain, I'd hear this little voice that says, well, why don't you pray about it? You know, and as an atheist, you know, I didn't recognize that it's God. I thought I was just talking to myself. But it would make me angry. You know, and some time went by. It definitely wasn't that day. And the night came, and I was angry and ashamed of the things that I've been through and the things that I've done. And in my arrogance, you know, I said my very first prayer, and it was take my anger and help me to forgive myself. You know, and as many of us have prayed at some point in our life, you know, as a desperation reaching for help, you know, nothing happens. You know, and therefore we think that God's not paying attention because he didn't come to my beck and call and do exactly what I think he should in the moment that I think he should, even though I've been obviously not believing in him. But I was broken and desperate enough, and I prayed every night before I went to bed. You know, and a few weeks had passed, and, you know, I prayed the same prayer every night. And I went to bed one way, and I woke up a different way. And I can't really explain it any better than I am right now other than God finally decided to move. And I'm not telling you all my anger was gone, and I'm not telling you all the shame was gone, but it definitely that weight was lifted when I woke up that morning. And at that point, my will changed from a very belligerent, strong, prideful atheist to, holy crap, there must be something out there. You know, was I ready to say that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Absolutely not. Was I ready to go to church for myself? No way. But I began to pray the prayers that you find in the literature of recovery. And I began to seek out spiritual things. You know, the big book tells us that God couldn't would if he were soft. So I began to seek out things. You know, and this took me down a lot of crazy trails. You know, I looked into Wicca for a while and got into some oils and sprays and rocks and this, that, and the other thing. And, and uh, that didn't really do me very good. But what I found that as I continued to pray, you know, God started to move in spite of my, you know, and I have a little saying that AA led me to God and my sin brought me to Jesus. You know, through some time you know, seeking out spiritual things and still finding myself very broken, you know, after uh, another relapse, you know, I found myself coming back to an AA meeting because that's where you go, you know, and that's where I still go today. You know, I'm a firm believer that if you have a substance abuse problem that you should be going to meetings on a regular basis. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to go every day, but it doesn't, you know, it's a a fellowship of people that are like-minded and going in the same direction as you are. So it's a, a very important and encouraging place to go. You know, but someone encouraged me or invited me to come to church, that their church was doing this recovery group. And she was pretty cute, and I was willing to go wherever she wanted to take me. And uh, I found myself walking through the door of Celebrate Recovery for the very first time and not even really knowing that that place existed or what it was really about. But Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step fellowship that believes that Jesus is the only higher power. Ground Zero is another fellowship that believes that Jesus Christ is the only higher power, that he is the only God. There is no other way except Jesus. 
you know, and I started to realize that I needed Jesus in my life and not really understanding what that meant, even though I've been to church a lot in my life. You know, and I remember sitting in an AA meeting after I started attending church on my own and going to celebrate recovery meetings. And, and at the beginning of most AA meetings in this area, they read through the steps and principles and a few other readings. And I remember sitting there and i am got my eyes closed and I'm just trying to focus and concentrate and trying to tune out the noise and plug into whatever God might be trying to say. You know, principles over personalities. It's not the, the messengers, it's the message. And I'd always close my eyes or stare at the floor so I didn't focus on the people in the room because I was very judgmental and, and critical and I would not be able to focus on any sort of a message because I would be character assassinating you instantly as soon as you started to talk. And the steps were being said and I remember hearing it for the very first time, even though I've probably heard it a thousand times. You turn your life and your will over to the care of God as you understand Him. And it was like instantaneously this voice clicks in and it says, how do you understand God? And it was like I, I opened my eyes and I'm like, how do you understand God? And as the wheels started really spinning. And like, you know, it's the God of my understanding, which can get really crazy. It did in my life, anyway. You know, after I abandoned the Wicca and abandoned a few other things, it's basically Tom with superpowers in the sky trying to accomplish his own will, which basically meant that God should bring me as many available girls as possible and bring me some money, too. That would be sweet, and hopefully I don't get arrested when I steal everything in the mall. <clears throat> you know, that it was really this self-centered God. You know, it wasn't about real change. You know, I would pray to stay sober, and that it wasn't really working. <clears throat> you know, so my wheels started spinning. You know, how do you understand God? And the only way to truly understand God is to read His Word. You know, and, and the, the understanding of God is through the Bible. That you can read a lot of different spiritual books and you can read a lot of different books written by a lot of different people about spirituality and spiritual things. But there's a lot of craziness out there. You can even get a lot of different Christian authors that contradict each other on a regular basis. But the Word of God never changes. And the Word of God never comes back void. So as we begin to read it, it's getting in us whether we realize it or not. You know, in the very beginning, I have no idea what I'm reading. I don't know who these people are. I don't know where these places are. I don't even understand this language. It's speaking to me in this foreign terms. You know, and I don't even get it. But as it was explained to me, that if this is what we really believe, that if Jesus really lived a sinful, sinless life, and he went to the cross for my sins, and he died this sinless life, sinless death, that he was brutalized, whipped, and beaten, that a, a crown of thorns was smashed upon his head, and nails were driven through his hands, and he was put upon a cross, and he died that day. And then he was put in a tomb, and he was put to rest, and God opened up that tomb, and he got out of that tomb, and he walked out of that tomb with holes still in his hands, and he went back to the people that believed in him and said, here I am. 
I told you I'd be back. That if this is what we really believe, the least I could do is read one page a day. You know, I was an early believer, and I heard that from a very good friend of mine now, but he was just a pastor in the church that I was attending then. I'm like, that's manipulation. I understand you completely. But I had this newfound respect for this man because he tried manipulating me, not trying to beat me in the head with the Bible. And manipulation is the language that we all understand, isn't it? That we all have PhDs in manipulation. That we are very, very good at it. Some better than others. But anyway, I went home that day and I didn't read the Bible because that's not what you do. You don't read that book. But I remember very clearly you know, coming to the end of that week and having to go back to church. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to see that man. I didn't read that friggin' book again. I'm like, I better read a page. So if he asked me, I'm like, yep, read a page. And the funny thing is, is he's never asked me since if I read my Bible. Maybe the Holy Spirit told him that he would, or he, he finally, you know, reached a, a place in, in realizing that, you know, I, I got to do it on my own. But I began to read a page a day. And then a page a day turned into two pages or a chapter. And I don't remember anything in the few, first few chapters that I ever read, but I remember when the Holy Spirit jumped off the page and punched me in the face for the very first time, that verse will always stick with me. You know, And if you're here and you've read your Bible and at any given amount of time, the Holy Spirit's jumped off the page and slapped you too. You know, and that's when you know God's really talking to you. And that's why we know that the Bible is different than any other book. That, you know, we can hear a pastor or we can hear our mama tell us what to do. You know, but most of us are pretty stubborn and arrogant and we don't listen real good to people in authority. That we've actually spent the majority of our lives doing the opposite of what anybody ever said. But it's something different when this imaginary God that doesn't really exist all of a sudden speaks to you in a way that you absolutely know that it was Him. That how do we turn our will over? That, you know, I have made decisions to change certain areas of my life, specifically like diets. And it'll work for a period of time until somebody wants to give me a cannoli and, and, or cookies or a cake or a pie or something really amazing. And there goes the diet. You know, and I relapse back into poor eating habits pretty frequently. You know, so how do I turn my will over in the area of food? It's because God's talking to me in this area. How do I turn my will over in the area of drugs and alcohol? Well, yeah, there's pain involved, and most of us have been arrested on some level or another. But that's never stopped us. You know, how do I turn my will over in relationships or pornography or lust? You know, just because it's bad, well, it feels really amazing. So how can it be all that bad? You know, we are able to turn our wills over in these types of areas because we refer back to the Word of God. If you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in the Bible, it's really hard to turn your will over to the Bible because you don't really believe in the power or the authority that it carries. But if I do believe in Jesus, my belief system is rooted in that Word that it's the foundation of what I believe in, and that I am trying to change my life, and I can have a prayer life, and I can go to church, 
But if I'm not reading my word, I'm basically still doing a lot of the same things I was doing before, but now I say I'm a Christian. Now, calling yourself a Christian or calling myself a Christian, I still do a lot of crazy things that I probably shouldn't. You know, and as I grow as a Christian, how do I begin to change these things? Because some pastor decided to, to preach on something. You know, right now we're going through a, a series on being generous or money. So just because the pastor said that I should pay my tithe and I'm going to do it? No, I'm not going to do it because he said so. I'm going to do it because the Bible said so or the Holy Spirit is telling me to do it. You know, and it's so important that we realize that God is trying to speak to us all the time. But how do we know that God's trying to speak to us? You know, that what we don't realize is that God is talking to us even before we were Christians. How many times have we been on the way to go do something that we know we shouldn't, and we hear this little voice tell us that you probably shouldn't go do that? Needless to say, we probably went and did it anyway. But the truth of the matter is, is that when painful things happen to me and I'm not listening to that little voice, who am I blaming? You know, I can blame God, I can blame my mom and my dad, I can blame this person or that person, but the truth of the matter is, until I become accountable for my own actions, I can never repent. And if I don't really repent of my sins, and I'm not really ready to turn my will over to God, because I may believe that there's a God out there, but... If I'm not ready to turn my will over to him, he's not the one in control. I am. So I can come to an understanding that I know I have this issue and my life is out of control and unmanageable. And I can even believe and, and sort of believe that this God might restore my sanity. But if I don't believe in a loving God and I don't believe in Jesus and I don't believe in the Bible, who and what am I turning my will over to? There is no foundation to turn it over. So basically, I'll turn it over, but I'm still trying to get my own will accomplished. You know, and the truth of the matter is, is every time I do what Tom wants to do, I destroy everything I touch. And it may not come that second, but it's coming. I guarantee it'll come. Because I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch. So now, when Tom begins to do what Tom wants to do, Tom knows that sooner or later, this is going to turn south. Even if I try to spiritualize it. How many of us have been trying to get our own will accomplished and we find some good scriptures to go right behind what we're trying to do? None of us, right? We don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, we know that we're doing it. Why do we know that we're doing it? Because the Holy Spirit is telling us that we're doing it. So he's already engaging us. We're just choosing not to listen. And what I found out is the more that I listen to that little voice tell me to do stuff that I don't really want to do, and I start doing those things, that my life begins to get a lot better. And when I ignore that little voice that's telling me to do things that I don't want to do, and I continue to do what I want to do, even if I'm going to church, and even if I believe in Jesus, and even if I'm trying to find scriptures to back up my nonsense, my life continues to get crazy and chaotic and out of control and destruction happens. Why? Because I'm still doing my will. I am still the God of my own life, that Jesus is just a, an idol that I try to use as my purposes. 
And the truth of the matter is, is that salvation is not this little prayer that we pray. Jesus' terms for salvation is deny yourself and follow me. So right from the get-go, Jesus is telling us to turn our will over. And so often we play church and we go through the motions of Christianity and we like certain aspects of it, but when it really comes time to deny ourselves, we flip the page real quick. And we continue to do what we want to do. And we try to use Jesus as this behavioral modification. And when he doesn't show up as fast as I think he should show up, I'll just take control again real quick. And I'll pray. I'm still asking him to bless my nonsense. But the truth of the matter is when he doesn't show up fast enough, I'm going to make my will happen. But sooner or later, we run ourselves into destruction. Because the wages of sin is death. And my will, done my way, whether I believe in Jesus or not, is still sin. And when I continue to sin, whether I believe in the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, at some point that wage is going to have to get paid. And usually it gets paid in painful, painful ways. So the truth of the matter is, is if we really are ready to turn our will over, you know, it, it starts with a prayer, a prayer of repentance. God, I'm ready to do it your way. But that means about faith. It doesn't mean I'm sorry. Because how many times have we said we're sorry and kept doing the same old thing? You know, the truth of the matter is, is that I need to completely change my life. And I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> I have no idea how to follow Jesus. Now, I can go to church once a week. I can even go to church once or twice, three times a week. I can get myself in a Bible study. But the truth of the matter is, if I'm not applying those words to my life, I am still doing what I want when I want to. And using Jesus as my best friend to, to co-sign my nonsense. That I need a group of people that are going in the same direction that I am to help guide me, to help stand with me. You know, I believe that, that Jesus models this. That he comes on the scene, and the first thing he does is start collecting people that, to follow him, to help him, to guide him. Yes, he's God, and he can do anything. He can call down a legion of angels. But in his humanity, why did he have 12 people around him? Why did he have two or three people that he turned to on a regular basis that were his inner crew? I think in his humanity he needed it. You know, you see it in the garden. You know, the night before he's crucified, he's laboring and saying, God, if there's any other way, make it happen, but your will be done. But even in that, he turned to his brothers and said, pray for me. I don't know if I can do this. Turning our will over, going on to something that could be painful, that could be emotional, that could be the opposite of what we want, is not easily done. We need people around us that encourage us to follow God in those moments when we want to do what we want to do. You know, if Jesus is doing it and has done it, how much more do we need people around us that are going in the same direction, that are going to tell us what the Bible says when we think that it's okay to do X, Y, and Z? 
Turning our will over is not easy. In Luke 9, it says, turn your, your will over daily and pick up your cross. <laughs> now, some of us get out of bed and we're like ready to take on the day. Some of us get out of bed and we really want to kill people. You know, I'm the type of person that gets out of bed and I take a long time to wake up. My mom's the type of person that gets out of bed singing. So growing up as a very depressed and broken child, you have a mom who's singing, Joy to the Lord! And I'm like, oh my gosh! You know, some people wake up and life's great. Give me a cup of coffee. Let's do this. Other people are like, I just want to go back to bed and I wish I was not alive. You know, how do we turn our will over when we don't want to do anything? We do it because God is asking us to do it. God is telling us how to do it through His Word. You know, what do we do when we're super depressed or our anxiety is overwhelming our thoughts? Where do we turn? Different medications? Yes. You know, yes, if you need them. But the truth of the matter is, is that the healing power of the Word of God is what changed my life. You know, that I began to pray, you know, that that there is no condemnation in Christ, that my sin is forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. So all of my guilt began to get washed away because Jesus paid for my sin. That I could lay down my condemnation, I could lay down my shame because Jesus tells me He took it. I don't just wake up one day and be like, oh, I think today's a better day than yesterday, I'm not depressed anymore. No, I begin to pray the Word of God over my life and I begin to stand on certain Scriptures and this is what God says, this is what I'm going to believe in spite of the way I think. How do I push through anxiety? Because the Word of God tells me, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. Be thankful that He's answering those prayers in His time. That I push through anxious thoughts. Why? Because His Bible tells me to. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just take care of today. Seek first the kingdom of God and all righteousness. All will be added unto you. That we find certain scriptures that, that speak to us over and over and over again. And we start declaring those things over our lives. That we arrest all thoughts and bring them back to the obedience of Christ. So if I have this crazy thinking, where do I turn with it? I just decide today's the day I'm not going to do it anymore? No, I... I turn it to the obedience of Christ. What's that? He is the Word. I turn it over to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about my thinking? I have to begin to turn these things over. I turn my will over because I know if I do it my way, crazy, destructive things are going to happen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon if I go my direction. Because why? I have a 100% track record. If I do my will, painful things will come my way. You know, I'm learning, and I'm learning, and I'm learning to trust His Word. I'm learning and learning to trust the Spirit. I'm learning that Jesus loves me in spite of what I do. That if I become better, He does not love me more. And if I screw up today, He doesn't love me any less. He loves me absolutely 100% all the time. There's nothing that can separate me from His love. How do I know that? His Bible tells me that that I begin to rest upon His Word. I begin to use His Word as a sword. I begin to fight through my emotions. I begin to fight through the things that are going on in my life. I begin to fight through me. That His Word pierces like a sword through the bone and the marrow. It cuts away my flesh so that I can live in a spiritual life. That I cannot do this on my own. Teach me to do Your will, O Lord. 
I don't know how to do it apart from his word and his spirit. Because I sin a lot every day. Going to church for an hour on a Sunday is not enough for this sinner to let alone get saved, to follow Jesus. It's not enough. I need to be in his word. I need to be praying every single day. I need to be around other believers that are going in the same direction that I'm going. Why? Because I will not succeed. I will divert from the plan real fast because I will think of something that I want and I will turn to it real fast because I want what I want when I want it. How do I be able to turn those things over? It's because I trust in God's will, that he has this perfect will for me, that he works everything together for good according to his purposes. So when I'm going through something and I don't understand why this is painful, I'm like, God, you're going to use it. Why do I think he's going to use it? Because he tells me he's going to use it. You know, rejoice in your suffering. How the heck do you rejoice in your suffering? Because you turn it over to God and you let him take control. That he's strengthening areas of our character. That we press into Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus. Isn't our ultimate call to be Christ-like? I remember when the, the, the switch flipped in my brain that I wasn't really trying to get sober anymore. All these years I've been trying to get sober. All these years I've been trying to stay away from a drink and a drug. All these years that I've not been able to succeed at doing that. Why? Because I've accomplished it already. So I just stopped working. And all of a sudden I coast my will back into a drink and a drug. But when I turned my will over to Christ, I realized the goal wasn't not being sober anymore. The goal was to be more like Jesus. That I got work to do. That if he is my standard, I am far from that. I never wake up one day and be like, yeah, I nailed this Jesus thing yesterday. I'm done. Take me home now. No, I wake up and say, i got work to do. I need more Jesus today. I need to, you know, lay my life down again. You know, and there has to be this balance because I can strive and I can be super religious and I can burn myself out real quick and then I'd be like, Screw it, it doesn't work. Or I realize that this is a marathon. This is a day-to-day. This is you know, progress, not perfection. This is learning and healing and changing and serving and growing. That I don't accomplish this. This is my lifetime goal is to follow Christ to the best of my ability. And some days I'll do pretty good. And some days I miss the mark by a mile. And God doesn't love me any worse or any more on those days. He loves me completely all the time. You know, and that's a God I can turn my will over to. That's a God I can continue to try to learn to love back because he first loved me. That's a God that I am willing to give him my will because I realize that he is worth it. That if I have this misconception of who Jesus is, that I can't turn my will over to him. The only way those misconceptions get healed and changed is when I realize what the word of God really says, not just some things that I think it says. But it's so important that we spend time in our word. It's so important that we spend time in prayer, that we learn to hear his voice in certain situations. You know, that we know how to live life. We intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. 
don't know about you, everything used to baffle me. I just raged through it like a bull in a china shop, just destroying everything I touched. And if I luck out, then so be it. Because life sucks anyway, right? No, I believe in this life that God has these crazy awesome things that He wants to do in my life today. That I, I don't wait upon God to just take me to heaven so my suffering is over. I learn that if I live according to His Word and I press into my relationship with Him, He begins to do some pretty cool stuff here on earth. It doesn't mean that I don't have pain. It doesn't mean that I don't have trials. But I know how to handle them way different than I used to. Why? Because my will belongs to Him and He's going to guide me through it. You know, this is such an important step in our progress because if the second step, we don't believe in a loving God that can restore us, that we don't believe in this loving God so that we can't turn our will over. And if we're not turning our will over, we're going to still do a lot of crazy stuff in the process of trying to heal. And normally we gravitate to something that isn't healing us. Normally we gravitate to the very thing that we're trying to get away from to make me feel better. And this becomes the cycle that most of us have been in our entire lives of going around and around, destruction after destruction, pain after pain, destructive relationship after destructive relationship. Why? Because there is no God in it. There's only me in it, trying to get what I want. And my will will destroy everything I touch 100% of the time. Maybe it's not today, maybe it's not tomorrow, but it will happen eventually. You know, and this is how we can go back to the first step and saying it's not about drug and alcohol. It's about my will. I have this crazy will that's out of control. I want what I want, and I want it now, and I want two of them, maybe three. I'll talk to you later. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that everything that I technically want right now is probably something painful for me. And I can turn my will over to this loving God that loves me back because he's continuing to show me that my will is crazy and his will is better. So I encourage you to, to leave here tonight thinking about, are you ready to let God take control of certain areas of your life? Because the more you try to control it, what ends up happening? No matter how many times we flip that thing, it, it's going to continue to be crazy. So I just encourage you to talk to Jesus. Listen to that little voice that's telling you to do certain things and to stop doing certain things. To gravitate towards certain people, to start doing certain things, and to get away from certain people and stop doing certain things. That still small voice that's really loud when you don't want to listen to it, the more you listen to that, you find his will in the middle of the chaos. And he begins to lead you out of the darkness when all we do is go around and around and around and around and around and around and wondering why life has to be so painful. It doesn't have to be as painful if we stop doing it our way. It doesn't mean that trials won't come. It doesn't mean that pain doesn't happen because we live in a sinful world. Pain happens. Sin happens. Even if I try to be my best, that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to sin against me. But you know what? When someone sins against me, well, how do I handle that? I turn to his word. I turn to him and I ask for strength. I ask for peace. I can walk through things today that used to drive me absolutely insane. That I can calm myself through the storms of life because I realize that He has the power to calm every storm. That He's worth turning my will over to. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank You so much. I thank You for all that You're doing. The good and the bad and the things that we understand and the things that we don't understand. 
that you're at work in our lives, Lord. The fact that we're here listening to you move in our lives, Lord, even the thought that even asking you into our lives is the fact that you're moving in our lives, Lord. And I ask that you would break off certain things that we're struggling with. And I ask that you would move suddenly in certain things. I pray that you would heal areas of our minds, areas of our bodies. You know, I ask for restoration in relationships, restoration in families. I pray that you'd bring the prodigal sons and daughters home, Lord. I pray that you would take care of court cases. I pray that you would take care of finances. I pray that you'd take care of those that are looking for jobs, that are need a new job or need a promotion, Lord. I pray that you would begin to move in our lives when we align ourselves with you. Lord, that you're not this one that just hands out blessings because we're behaving, but you're this good, good God. You're this good, good Father that wants to give us good gifts. So, Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you because you're worth it, that you love us, that you laid down our life for us, Lord. And I pray that we would learn to love you back, Lord, that we would realize that your way is way better than our own. Lord, help us to refrain from temptation, Lord, and we can use your strength, that we can press into you, that we can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, that we can use Scripture to fight against sin, fight against temptation, that your will can be accomplished as in heaven, as on earth. Lord, I pray that we realize that you're so big that you're paying attention to every little tiny detail of our lives, that you're not far off somewhere. You're not off in heaven somewhere, Lord, that you're here right now, moving, speaking. I thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.